The Business of Biotech is produced by Life Science Connect and its community of learning, solving, and sourcing resources for biopharma decision makers. If you're working on biologics process development and manufacturing challenges, you need to swing by bioprocessonline.com. If you're trying to stay ahead of the cell or gene therapy curve, visit cellandgene.com. When it's time to map out your clinical course, let clinicalleader.com help. And if optimizing outsourcing decisions is what you're after, check out outsourcepharma.com. We're Life Science Connect, and we're here to help. Biotech is making a comeback. That's the word from San Francisco during J.P. Morgan Week, anyway. I'm Matt Piller. This is the Business of Biotech, and I was there to hear it firsthand at what's inarguably the most target-rich environment in the world for a guy who likes talking to biotech leaders. I took full advantage. I racked up well over a dozen interviews with founders and CEOs and CBOs and CFOs, many of whom will feed our podcast lineup for weeks to come. These execs 201 brought facts, names, and numbers to back up their increasingly rosy market sentiments, easing inflation, the promise of favorable interest rates, and December's flurry of M&A activity are just a few pieces of key evidence pointing to biotech's return. And speaking of returns, you know who else is making one? Everybody's favorite biotech CFO, Alan Shaw. He was at the top of my list to catch up with in San Francisco, and I'm thrilled that he made the time to make it happen. Let's give it a listen. So Alan Shaw has been far too long since you've been on the show, and I'm thrilled that we get to do this one face-to-face. So welcome back. Uh, Great to be back. Uh, Always great uh, doing the show with you, and even better doing it in person now. Yeah. It's the first time we're not going through a screen. I know it. I know it, for sure. I'm I'm thinking I need to start taking trips out to New York to record with you so we can do it in person. We can do it on the beach. We can do it while we're fishing, right? Uh, I think with technology, we can really do it almost anywhere. We can, yeah. So it's great to see you here. It's great to see you here in uh, in San Fran for JPM. When did you get into town? I rolled in on a Sunday morning, yeah. and I went immediately to a, a brunch reception. Yeah, right. Hit the ground running. So we've been, uh, I, I came in on Monday, um, but you've been going back to back, I'm sure, since you got here. What's what's the what's the prevailing sentiment that you're picking up right now? You know, I think, first of all, just touching on what you said, J.P. Morgan is, has been and continues to be an endurance sport. Uh, you know, you really almost have to treat yourself like an athlete to get it through the week mm. and, and take care of yourself and remember to hydrate. Yeah. Uh, you know, with that said, you know, the sentiment has been interesting and I'd say really consistent uh, across the board. You know, I'd say people are generally cautiously optimistic. You know, I would say that uh, everyone would generally agree that the wind isn't in our face as it has been, but it's not necessarily to, back, to our back either. Yeah. Uh, there's certainly uh, reasons to be encouraged. You know, I think a lot of people have pointed to, you know, there was certainly the rally at the end of the year that turned the XBI, which was almost like 30 percent down to to break over as a positive, which was certainly encouraging. You know, with that said, I haven't found anyone who's kind of stood up and waved their hands saying I was the one doing all the buying. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there was a lot of short covering. So there's still, you know, but but people are are definitely warming up. There's evidence that there's. more more buy side engagement, as as one uh, banker put it to me the other day. There, the uh, buy side uh, aperture 
is getting a little bit wider. Mm-hmm. You know, before people wouldn't even read your emails. Now they are reading the emails. So that, that's that's encouraging. And certainly the fact that there was over $30 billion of M&A in, in recent weeks right. has given people uh, reason to be excited, uh, particularly since it does suggest that uh, it certainly reinforces the thesis that big pharma has some real pipeline issues that they're really going to have to solve these issues, given that they're patent clips. They're about three, four five years out. Um so there's obviously uh, some aggressive buy side actions. I think that's that's and that money gets recycled typically back into the market. So that's that should, again, be a positive indicator. And people have continued to look at that as a as a catalyst for the market to come back. Uh, I've heard uh, some anecdotal information that they're expecting almost 30 IPOs this year. Um, you know, I think that's all going to be conditional on the, uh, the success of the first couple that go out, yeah. you know, some of the uh, test IPOs. And if they trade well, I think, you know, you're going to see people pushing the IPOs out until they break it again. That's well, what I was going to ask is, is there, do you think, you know, if a forecast of 30 is, is feasible, is, is that a healthy number? It's, because that constant, like it's just a regurgitation of the same conversation about how, you know, how we were overpopulated with IPOs and that contributed to the mess. I think it is a healthy, if we get there, I'm not sure if we, excuse me, get there, particularly in an election year. Mm. I certainly, I think the other side of the coin, why people are cautious, why people don't think we're necessarily out of the woods, but are feeling better is, you know, is, well, there is a prospect of interest rate cuts. uh, And Fed certainly went out there in November and, and actually indicated there'd be a couple this year. Uh, And that really, I think in many respects, triggered the short coverage that we saw in the XBI. And I think it's a question of whether or not they materialize. Mm-hmm. You know, we have low inf- inflation's getting lower. It's not at the target levels yet. And employment seems to be pretty good. You know, people are calling a soft landing. So I'm not sure if you need interest rates to stimulate the economy. The economy seems to be working pretty well. And when you look at interest rates on a historical level, we're right in the middle of the fairway. I'm not sure what all the necessarily the noise is other than uh, people have been spoiled by free money for over a decade, and I think they want their toys back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, I would also say, you know, in terms of the M&A, the other side, you know, where they're, they're, while people are highly encouraged by what's what's going on, um, you know, the FTC continually seems to get in the way of things. You know, they they had blocked uh, the Amgen Horizon trade uh for a long time. And it, and it really seemed to be misguided. You know, they had issues about uh, the PBMs and drug pricing and, and how they how products get bundled. And rather than getting in the way of M&A, which is part of the natural life cycle of the industry, they should have been going after the PBMs if they didn't like the way that was working. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it seemed to me really uh, misguided in terms of how they were approaching it. And then they, they you know, they finished the year deciding to pick another battle that made no sense, which caused Sanofi to, or Sanofi to, uh, to back away from a licensing deal of all things. Yeah. So, you know, they've got to kind of get their policy on order and I'm not sure in the, in the, with the, with the election coming up, this is the year to expect significant rational behavior from these folks. Yeah. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, the impact of the election year, explain that for me like what what is what 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 sort of an impact should we expect or or might we expect 
Now, fair enough. Um, if people can recall back to the, uh, it was what, the uh, 2617, when during the, um, the election that Hillary ran against Trump, I mm-hmm. forget, forget whatever year it was now. Yeah. But if you recall that biotech was having a pretty good run until Hillary hit the Twitter with negative um, pharma- biopharmaceutical uh, sentiment mm-hmm. in terms of policy and other things. And it really put a chill in the sector. And we, we really traded off for the second half of uh 20 uh of of 2015 going into 2016 um i know that we i tried to i did launch an ipo during that period of time and i'll never forget that the front page of the wall street journal the day we were seeking board approval was ipo market closed my son asked me why are you laughing i said you don't understand the damn about to happen this is this is the narrative yeah but you know we got it done but but it's that political rhetoric it's the platitudes of the tweets you know farmer biotech seems to be the politician's favorite whipping boy mm-hmm. um which is kind of ironic when you think about the you know the contribution and impact on, on uh, humanity that the industry has provided arguably it's more profound than what uh all the foreign aid that we send and all the military stuff that we send but but nonetheless, you know, and 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 it's and the, and the negative uh, sentiment that we get, you know, we do bring it on when we keep increasing prices on products that have been around for years annually or semi-annually by three four percent. You know, we're just poking the bear in the eye. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There were uh, there was a panel yesterday. There was a panel yesterday at the end of the day on uh, on that sentiment. You know, the fact that bio, bio biotech and, and pharma are you know on par. In, in the public purview with tobacco and oil and gas, right? Like it, it's so interesting to me during COVID, you know, when COVID happened, it was like, there was this spike in, in, in sentiment, a, a positive spike. And then very quickly that evaporated. How do you like, uh, what are you, that's a general question, but what are your thoughts on how an industry sustains, you know, a, a, at least a semi-positive public perception? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's certainly easier said than done. You know, I I think we need to be seen more as advocates for for the patient population, as opposed to people that seem to be taking advantage of the patient population. And when you're um, just raising prices and then, you know, and it's all part of the rebate cycle and how you get yourself positioned, you know, the patients are losing in that situation. And, and, you know, the PBMs and the industry, you know, bringing it on themselves. You know, I think, you know, as we start to look at patient engagement, holistic solutions, uh, you know, I could see the industry being helpful in, 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 in that level of engagement. You know, I think there's efforts now to kind of cut out the middleman. And I think the cutting out the middleman, like the PBMs and going direct is going to allow us to kind of reallocate things the right way as opposed to paying the middleman for very little value added mm-hmm. at the end of the day other than it's been the way we conduct business like night follows day uh i i would say you know if you take a, a step back a much more holistic look you know the healthcare spend in the united states is highest in the world yet you know our uh outcomes and, and uh, mortality rates are some of the lowest ones. 
So no, so effectively we we're paying more for less. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, we should be advocates for trying to make the appropriate changes in the system because what we got right now isn't sustainable. It, it's really, it's really broken, you know, and, and, and what industry, you know, and I think that's going to result in us taking much more of a risk based approach to the products that we sell. And as some of these other products become almost like services, you know, when you're looking at gene editing and you're looking at uh, cell therapy, I mean, you're providing services, you're providing solutions now and you're providing outcomes. And I think that'll be helpful in changing the narrative, but, you know, and I think probably highlighting and figuring out how we can educate people uh, on the contributions, you know, on uh, the lives that we're saving, and, and, and the impact on people. And, and there's a lot of beautiful stories out there. Yeah. They don't seem to be uh, out there. People aren't really aware of that. So, you know, we probably need a new publicist, but I think actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was thinking about our conversation before we started recording and, and uh, I was, I was obviously I want to spend some time talking about your perception of the, the markets and the industry, but with, the 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 headwind you know allegedly going away to your point maybe not at our back quite yet i was wondering what what are you and i going to commiserate about if uh, if things get better if the <laughs> but now you're, you're giving me plenty of fodder for that <laughs> oh yeah, i mean i think you know it's you know i don't think everybody's a winner or a loser you know i don't think this is necessarily um you know you're flicking a switch and things are going to go back to the roaring uh, 2020s. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily anticipate that. I think people are going to be a lot more discerning. Uh, I think we still have a lot of companies that are kind of walking zombies out there. And there's going to have to be, you know, a come to Jesus moment for them in terms of whether or not they'll be able to continue to execute. Um, I think people have to still, I guess, take their medicine. And those who take their medicine, who skinny down uh, and focus on what they need to focus on, uh, will get to the other end. You know, you, I think this is a time to be a bit scrappy. So uh, and as things change, I think it's not going to go back. To, I don't anticipate it going back to where it was. So it's going to be a lot more emphasis on, on, on management teams. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when, you know, we we, we, chat, we chatted during good times, too. I remember talking about the boy bands of biotech right. as as we were marching, putting management teams wrapped together around newly formed companies and pushing them out the door. So, you know, I, I think it's going to kind of get back to more fundamentals. I think that people are going to put more of a fundamental emphasis on the quality of the management team. I, I think we've seen, and I've said this before, and I'll emphasize it again, that, you know, given the choice between a, a uh, superior asset and a middling management team or a, a middling asset and a superior management team, I would always take the later. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they'll know how to extract value. As a friend of mine put it, we were talking about this on breakfast today. He says, you know, these assets don't develop by themselves. Right. Uh, and you need to be able to navigate the uh, a myriad of different aspects. You know, you need to ma- navigate the science and the proof of concept. You need to be able to navigate the manufacturing. You need to manage the accrual rates of clinical trials. You know, I've observed a, a fundamental difference in the way people execute on these things. 
And I've seen them generate good results and I've seen them not generate as good of a results. So I think it's going to really put more of an emphasis on, on execution. And I think for good science, for good teams, uh, if you can execute, there'll be an opportunity there. You know, as we've said before, in, in, in God, we trust and data believe. And it's just going to be really getting back to basics. Yeah. Do you um, do you see like if you if you if you think about the the overpopulation of, of biotechs pre, you know, bubble popping or whatever you want to call it. Um, <clears throat> you, you talk a lot about, you know, jockeys and executing on management. Do you, do you see like the, the pool of talent uh, as being in a healthy place right now or, or an improved place right now, given that so many execs and founders have been battle tested or, 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 you know, what, what's your take on that? Like, do, do you think there are, it's a good, good field of jockeys right now? You know, I, I think we were stressed, uh, stretched, I mean, and maybe stressed in terms of how we were uh, populating these seats. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, if, if somebody told me when I was younger, if you can't jump over the bar, you lower it. And, and I think the bars were lowered in many cases. And I think that also sp speaks to some of the things we've spoken about in past episodes about the productivity was there was a lot more clinical failures. Uh, and I think people were doing things because they could. And the flow of money wasn't restrictive. So you were what my partner. Um, worry about getting it validated i'll just do it all yeah and, and i think that the inexperience of people thinking that you know a high tide is going to keep all the boats high you know people got caught out so i actually see this as a period where companies who have have the wherewithal this is an opportunity for them to to upgrade their their, their management teams and their organization um because i think there's still a bit of a mismatch I think you still got, you know, uh, a ridiculous number of companies out there that are that are uh, that are under underwater. And as I understand it, additionally, there's at least 130 companies that are trying to go public. Mm. So even if the 30 of those that we talked about get out, mm. what about the other the other folks? And as I think you touched on before, someone touched on that now they're making reverse mergers a little bit more restrictive as well. Well, uh, you know, they, I don't think it'll be a big uh, a big issue, but it's just not helpful. And, you know, the I think the reverse mergers was one way to kind of help clean up the system. Mm -hmm. You know, the way I saw it is you can do 30 IPOs, but if you got over 100, 150 companies that are broken, you know, you should be able to match those up with the companies who want to go public and, and, and try to take a little pressure out of the system. Yeah. But what I've also heard is because of this new discerning environment, that there's a number of companies that have been funded by the fundamental specialist VCs who are the, those investors are not re-upping and mm -hmm. they're going to let them kind of just hit the wall or, 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 or take a very soft landing. Yeah. So I think that speaks to the fact that while that the bar needs to get raised, uh, whether it's management teams, whether it's the science or the companies, I think investors have lost a lot of money over the last several years and I think they're certainly very focused on, on self-preservation. Um, and on that, and on that, speaking about the financing environment, I think a lot of the deals that have been getting done, a lot of these data pipes speaks to that. You know, a, a lot of companies are given 
a lot of upside. Usually the play would be you'd announce the data and do a deal and the stock would re-rate itself. Um, because of the market dynamics, um, people are now entering into these data pipes where you bring the investors over the wall. You, you They get to kick the tires, see everything before anyone else. You negotiate a deal. The deal is going to not necessarily provide the same level of valuation re-rating. But you've now got the money to do what else you need to do. You've got some uh, validating investors in your cap table. And and that seems to be the business right now. I think as, a, as something to watch as we cautiously approach optimistically the new year is to see whether or not those deals will be as prevalent or whether or not people can get back to doing follow and offerings without having to transact that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was, I was, I was going to ask you a question about that. Like the, the, the deal, deal structure and starting with a, a more scrupulous, I guess, investor base, right. More discerning as we've been saying. Um, and then the, the way that deals have been structured as investors have become more discerning um, when cycles like this happen, what sticks like what carries on like tr like tranche deals for instance like one i, I want to get your perspective on like what's been difficult in terms of the way the deals are being done now but i'm also curious about like as, as cycles like this happen do do terms that happen in down cycles tend to tend to carry on or do they go away when things get better again yeah i think in a nutshell it's really about supply and demand yeah. And when you have lack of uh, supply, you know, the, uh, you know, it's really a, a buyer's market and they can drive the terms. And I think looking at flow of funds will be really important. The return of the M&A dollars, you know, fund flow will will dictate, you know, the demand, demand side of the equation. And that, and that keeps people honest. You know, when you do any sort of marketed deal, you want demand. If you can drive demand, you can drive the terms. If you don't have demand, the terms will be driven to you. Yeah. Um, so I think the terms right now are, again, I think more more uh, uh, in the side of the investor. But it, it's, you know, it's, I would say, fair, but nothing's guaranteed in life. So that's the risk. Um, so what, I'm, what I've been seeing on, on these deals is that, you know, you generally get funded to a, a initial inflection point and then the, you'll put warrants on it that'll be tied to a success event mm -hmm. so once you have the data the warrant can be uh exercised and the data should drive appreciation which will cause that so what people are doing rather than writing a check for say 60 million dollars and this is going to get you through all your clinical trials they might write you a check for 20 that gets you to a study uh, if that study is good, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 the warrant can exercise and can take it to the next level. So if you, if you execute your, your trials are funded, mm -hmm. you don't execute, you know, you're going to have other problems as well. Yeah. Um, so that's the way that people are tranching it and it, it makes intuitive sense, but it kind of keeps the, it keeps people on a short leash. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get back to uh, we talked about some of the, I guess, overarching kind of global indicators like inflation and, and interest rates. Um, what other what other indicators are you seeing that point either way? Like we'll start with positive indicators. What indicators am I, haven't we discussed that you think are pointing towards 
uh, improvement? You know, I guess I would build off of the things that we've discussed, you know, that the, the cut in interest rates is, is certainly good. I think the question is, is that a head fake or not? Mm. Uh, so, you know, Jamie Dimon, for instance, when he was speaking at the conference, you know, he he did he declared that he didn't believe in the soft landing. He saw too many inflationary um, issues out there that that will uh, keep the Fed rates higher for longer. Uh, and then there's other people saying we're in an election year. You know, they're going to cut the rates whether they need it or not, mm. which is certainly disappointing from an idealistic perspective of uh, the Fed's independence. But um, so I think the, the the macro is going to be really important. Uh, interest rates are going to have a profound impact. I think the M&A activities are important. And if the FTC continues to do what it does, it's going to be a Debbie Downer. But I think that I think that dynamic is is helpful. I think there was an M&A deal recently that should give investors some encouragement to perhaps take a little bit more risk. Um, and that's important about taking risk. And that really correlates to the interest rates. The higher the rates, the less risk. Um, so, for instance, the Harpoon transaction the other day that went off for $23 a share, uh, the company was was hurting only as recently as maybe three months ago, and they did a recapitalization at about $5 a share. So those investors that invested at five, you know, they got a fourfold return in uh, three months. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, positive uh uh, returns on, on transactions like that are going to cause people to take a more serious look at other opportunities. Uh, because when you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know, you know, you, there's opportunities to really create value rather relatively easily. Um, so really flow of funds, interest rates, M&A. From my vantage point, those are really the most Fundamental. That's what I'm, what I'm looking at. Yeah. That's going to drive uh, other investors back into the space. You know, I think there is generally more sentiment that the biotech sector is kind of hit. You know, people are calling it the low has been hit. Um, still think it's a bit of a stock pickers club. Um, but generally, the sentiment is good, and I and I hope it becomes more self fulfilling as as the year goes on. Yeah, what what do you uh, you know uh, election election cycle being sort of a wild card? You, you know, you you mentioned its its influence potentially negative. What what else are you concerned about? You know, drug pricing. You know, I think the drug pricing discussions are going to just you know it's the poster child for all the rhetoric, mm -hmm. and, and I think that drives a lot of the, the headwinds. You know, um, you know, we shouldn't be public enemy number one. As we said earlier, it's it's un it's unfortunate for that, for all the good that we do. Um, but but, you know, we're easy. We're easy targets. You know, even when you look at our financial statements, you know, the profitability of these companies are, are, are some of the most profitable in the world. So as long as those conditions prevail, I think we are we remain an easy target. And I think we just got to brace ourselves for that. You know, it's noise. Most of this is just noise. So, you know, it'll arguably for, for people who are uh, who understand that it's more noise than than anything. It's really political theater. You know, I think that it actually represents a, a good opportunity because as the fundamentals are improving, it's actually represents a really good entry point. And I think people are starting to realize that there's an improvement in that. 
I guess a subtle me uh, metric that I would use to, to track the progress is, you know, talking to uh, invest investor relations firms. You know, one of the questions I've been asking people is the uh, robust nature of their meetings. Are they getting a lot of meetings for their clients on, in terms of small caps, large caps? Um, and I, I'd say it varies. You know, the small caps are not feeling as much love hmm. and, and that, that's going to make it harder. So, you know, I'd say valuation re-rating will be something to look at, too, whether or not people recognize, you know, if a harpoon was trading at five and it trades at 23, you know, what other arbitrage opportunities are there? Yeah. Yeah. What about uh, sci scientific and, and technical advances? Like it's been but a lot of conversations about all the great science and great programs that have been shelved for lack of resources as things come back. Uh, you know, do, 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 does that like a, a revisiting of some of the new new science and technology in the space? Does that contribute to oh, oh, oh totally you know that the different therapeutic areas and modalities are kind of like platform shoes they go in and out of fashion uh today's fashion is kind of almost back to the future you know between radio farmer and adcs you know mm -hmm. we've gone back to chemotherapy and radiation yeah so uh in, in, in a new form um i would say with the recent uh, acquisitions of cerebell and karuna you know, CNS is an area that people are starting to really pay renewed focus. Uh, certainly BMS is certainly getting very aggressive there as a, as a real focus area. Um, GLP, you know, that, you know, the whole obesity market has captivated the, uh, the industry last year. And they will continue to dominate a lot of noise. There's certainly a, a, a lot of people uh, emulating that and then looking at oral formulations. Um and there's different different approaches. You know, I, I almost cynically look at that whole hype and, and build out the whole GLP trade. It's kind of almost like similar to trip buying or selling Tesla, you know, in, 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 in a, uh, a new market. You know, there's going to be other electric car vehicles, too. And, uh, you know, but I think in terms of the GLP, I think what will be interesting, too, is because there's incredible side effects that people haven't taken into account. Mm -hmm. You know, when you when you lose that weight, you're also losing muscle mass. Yeah. And then generally when you rebound and you put the weight back, yeah. you're only putting back fat. And and bone, you lose bone density too, I I, I understand, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think that's still gotta work its way through. I think there's better mouse traps to be had. I thought one, one anecdote um, that somebody put out there was they think it's gonna become a vacation drug. People are going to take it a couple of months before they go away. <laughs> <laughs> a vanity, vanity drug. Yeah, a absolutely. And, and, you know, question if, it, you know, so I think some of the, ex the expectations may be a little bit long on that. Um, I just don't think the durations and the penetration uh, is going to necessarily last. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how durable that is. Uh, I think a lot of buzz that people are looking at is AI. Everybody wants to talk to me about AI. Oh, everywhere. Everybody. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I was listening to a panel when I was out here. I said, you know, given everyone's talking about it, I better get smart on this quick. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I thought one of the interesting observations I got uh, on one of the panels that I listened to is that, you know, since so much of the data is in the public domain, one of the issues that we have that seems to be getting not glossed over, it's quietly not being addressed, is the fact that you the negative data is not so pervasive in the public domain. 
people don't generally publish the negative data as mm. much as they publish their positive data. So, you know, so the algorithms and the data that we're basing a lot of these things on are arguably biased to being positive, And we're not learning from the lessons from our failures, which is probably even more important. Right. So, you know, they, they, the people on the panel acknowledge that that's a real issue. Yeah. And I don't know if there's necessarily a great solution yet figuring out how you're going to get people to collaborate and share all of that and how inclusive is it is and is it uh, representational. So that, that to me suggests that while we're making great advances, there's still a few more things to sort out, but it's, it's definitely going to be impactful. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I think came out of what I was hearing was that, you know, while it's the, the buzz a lot of people have been doing a lot of machine learning and a lot of um, in terms of discovery efforts for over a decade. Yeah. So, you know, it's not necessarily new. It's just, again, you know, maybe it's 2.0 or 3.0 of what we're doing. And we're getting better in terms of uh, data management. But it really seems to be like data management. Once you have data management, I think that will uh, unlock. But right now, the emphasis on data. Are you hearing anything about the the impact that AI and ML might have moving forward, like beyond discovery and design? That, that's where like the use cases are right mm -hmm. now, you know, accelerated discovery, aiding in molecular design. Um, but when I when I think like in terms of a biotech moving, you, you, you get into translational and you start moving towards the clinic. That's when things start to get a little muddy, like what what AI and machine learning might contribute to what effectively is the most daunting, you know, the, the do or die moment, right? The, 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 the clinical trials. Are you hearing anything on that? Yeah, you know, there's, I guess I haven't paid as much attention to it yet, but my, my instinct is, is that it should be able to pay positively impact patient accruals, mm. you know, access to, you know, medical records. You should, if you're running a, 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 an AML study, you know, you should be able to identify everybody who's AML. Yeah. You know, you should be able to figure out better ways to recruit patients. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly think that, you know, in terms of some of the administrative aspects uh, of clinical trials, it could probably improve efficiency, remove some of the human bottlenecks associated with it. I could see it, you know, as you're processing amendments and the protocols that can make things much more efficient. Um, again, I think you need the the broader infrastructure to make that work. But I, I think it can have a profound impact uh, all the way into the medical services side. You yeah. know, doctor's assistants, you know, I think that's that's an area where you can probably free things up. Yeah. You know, you just talk to R2D2 and get your script. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, a, it's an important conversation. I, I was talking to a guy recently about AI and ML, and he was positing that we don't, you know, we're, we're not in a, in a, in a molecular drought. Like we, there's plenty to work with where AI and, and ML have had an impact. Now it's time to figure out how to address the real issues. So it's, I think it's a, it's an important conversation to have and an important technology to watch as it, Oh, absolutely. And I think it can also really help in terms of helping us define what is the economic value of drugs. 
Mm. Right. You know, that, that to me is the on the on the fundamental assessment is, um, you know, hospitalization costs, the cost of treating them, retreating them, periods of time of how long you can avoid being rehospitalized. You know, I think a lot of these real we can really take advantage of some real world data and quantify it to better understand what the value of the drugs are, how they should be priced and, 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 and structure it, whether it should be risk sharing and how. How much money goes back into the system? You know, right now people don't see this as system savings. They're saving money for their PL or their PL. So there's not a holistic approach. But I think with better information, it can make uh, steer more informed decisions and in getting policymakers to get to the right places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what haven't I asked you that that I should have? What, what haven't we hit on here? Um, Let me think. No, yeah, we can, we can, uh, I can, I can stitch this back together. We, we, we've been bumping around, so I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to beat any ponies that are already dead. Any your questions? You know, we can probably talk about the, the uh, conference, you know, has this different compared to other years. Yeah, know? yeah. And we can talk about the conference itself. You know, there's a lot of people talking about it being moved. That. How many years have you attended this conference? I've been coming here for well over a decade, and uh, I made I made my first trip in twenty twenty three, and then I uh, and then I came back about ten years later. Two thousand three. Two thousand three. Two thousand three. And then yeah. I came back about ten, ten years later, and this is. Uh, 12, 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then there was that, uh, there was that hiatus, right. During, during COVID. Um, I, I, I don't have a point of reference because last year was my first JPM last year was the first time I came. So I didn't have a point of reference, like what the conference looked like prior to COVID or, you know, in, in the heydays, what's your assessment? Like if you take into account what you're seeing here today, this, this year, the the, con the conference has evolved. You know, I like the kid that when I come to J.P. Morgan, I'm, uh, I'm coming to hang out with 40,000 of my closest friends. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if we got the 40,000 this year. The, the headcount number seems to be a bit lighter. I thought last year we had a little bit of pent up demand given the uh, hiatus we had due to COVID. I think people wanted to get out and about. And I did find it to be lighter than prior years. Um, but it, it still felt like there was a little bit more intensity this year. It seemed to be uh, less less flow of people. I can tell you that when I was at the J.P. Morgan conference, the uh, the St. Francis. It, uh, other than when Jamie Dimon was talking, it was very easy to move around mm -hmm. in the building. Um, that was the only time I thought fire would be a problem. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say talking to the folks who run the biotech showcase, they indicated that. Um, the numbers were light, a little bit lighter than prior years. But, you know, when I heard from J.P. Morgan that they cut their invitations down by about 20 percent, uh, those guys were doing much better. You know, I would say their numbers were almost flat, which uh, which suggests that, you know, there's still demand. People are still coming. You know, I, I would say that there is uh, generally a distinction between the companies that, that present at the comp, J.P. Morgan conference versus um, 
the biotech showcase. I think the biotech showcase does something that's really great. It provides access to for companies to investors that would otherwise not have access to investors. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it shows that there's still, you know, you'd have to drill into it deeper. But I would say on a high level, it sounds like there's a lot of companies that are trying to still engage with investors. And that's outpacing maybe the headcount decline that we've seen here at the conference. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like a cottage industry, right? Like there, there's a there's a village of events, of receptions, of, of meetings, of venues. Has that grown in your in your uh you know, in your JPM tenure, have you seen sort of that, uh, the, the outward growth and all these di- different events or, or, or has it been like that from the start? You know, it's, I would say that it's, it's definitely been that way for a long time. Yeah. I would say that, you know, we got into that, what I would say the 2020 conference, excuse me, was really the um, inflection point. And, you know, it, it, it was just nuts, the number of different receptions, the number of different events, the number of different people. I found that I could walk down any street and I felt like my life would pass me by the different people that you run into. And at that point, they were charging me for everything. I expected someone to come up to me on the sidewalk to start charging me for standing there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, would, uh, I would say that this year there's been a little less interaction like that. But you still, if you stand in place near the St. Francis, you're going to see a uh, a lot of people in a short period of time. Uh, I think that the service providers see this as a, as a real opportunity for them to kind of try to build their book of business for the year. Yeah. Um, I would say that um, that it's it, what I like about J.P. Morgan is it's a, it's a great opportunity. It's in a very efficient way to be able to reconnect with a lot of people in a very short period of time as well as also expand your circle of friends as well. So I've found it over the years to be a great place for doing business, whether it's your own personal business development, whether or not you're looking to raise money and connect to investors, or or are you trying to do strategic transactions? But because the nature of the interaction is so superficial, I mean, it's really like speed dating. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really, JP Morgan's really all about the follow-up. And the success of your year, the success of your time here is really about the follow up in terms of, you know, it's great you've renewed relationships, but then, you know, you want to continue to build on them and, and stay relevant. What the beauty is, too, is that you could see somebody that you haven't seen in a half a decade. Yeah. And, and it's like yesterday. And I think it's a reminder to everybody that, you know, sometimes you think it's been too long. Who's going to remember me? People remember, and I encourage everybody to reach out to people uh, and, and stay stay in touch. It's a cold, harsh world that we live in, and you know, being able to expand those circle of friends makes it a warmer place. Yeah. Do you see uh, like the significance of the the what goes on at the Western St. Francis, like the the J.P. Morgan kind of nucleus? Do you see its significance? Um, I don't want to say dwindling, but is I've had many conversations with biotech execs this week who haven't set foot in in, in the Western St. Francis, and and maybe aren't even here for the you know any of the other ancillary events. They're here for meetings that they've set up. You know, they're doing things on the periphery. Um, so, d- does that significance kind of kind of wane at all, or is there still a, a great mighty weight to 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 sort of ground zero there? 
You know, it's a fantastic question, and certainly you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of different perspectives on it. You know, from my from my two cents, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, J.P. Morgan has become nomenclature for the world's largest healthcare conference in in, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But with, with that said, it's anchored by the J.P. Morgan conference. Yeah, you know, and, and there's been a lot of. Uh, people talking about their disdain for the city of San Francisco mm. and would love to bring it to a place where you weren't jammed uh, or poked in the eye for all the costs where you didn't have to deal with a lot of the other uh, social issues that are prevalent here. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's going to work. I mean, I think it would be great, you know, if you brought this to, to say, Orlando, or if you brought this to Las Vegas. Um, but, but with that said, I think you're actually going to be then marginalizing uh, or commoditizing the J.P. Morgan conference, if you did that, because you've got, I think, having it in the St. Francis, they control the narrative. There's been a lot of history there. This goes back to H&Q back in the 90s. Um, and then, you know, people still refer to it as the. Uh, so there, there's a lot of history there. And I think, you know, for them to be able to continue to control the narrative as they do around the event, you know, Jamie Dimon's claiming that he's responsible for all the people that come to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're going to keep it here because I think it allows them to, like I said, control the narrative of the event. It's their event, yeah. uh, even if it has become nomenclature. Well, good deal. Uh, anything else you wanted to cover? Um, I guess the only thing I would add is that, you know, after having uh, been in the, you uh, know, in a, in a what it seemed to be a war or a firefight or a, a storm for uh, a couple of years. I think it's really, really uh, encouraging to see that there's now positive, cautious optimism out there mm-hmm. to look forward to. Uh, I don't think it's ready. We're ready to bang the drums yet, but I, I, I am encouraged. But I think there's a lot of things that we as an industry have to navigate. And uh, but I think it's back to fundamentals. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. I mean, we don't want we don't want the drums to bang too hard. Right. I think they were banging too loud before. I think we got to learn from what happened. Yeah. And but I think there's great. I mean, at the conference, I was looking at the next wave of companies in the private sector and, and, and some of the science that's coming out that's around the corner is really, really, really interesting. It's really, really, really responsive. And um, and I think the other thing is the industry has pivoted a little bit. You know, there seems to be much more of an emphasis on on uh, an evolution more to chronic disease, heart disease. And, and I think that's really, really important, because when you've looked at all, all the ponderance of what's been approved over the last decade, it's very concentrated in orphan disease. It's very concentrated um in oncology and, and it's and, and I've written things in the past that said that, you know, we, you know, there was a lot of economic reasons for why that capital allocation was occurring. But it's nice to see, given the broad populations that these large modalities uh, or indications are now being addressed. And I think that that's going to really make a positive impact. But it also speaks to the fact that people are looking for bigger markets to invest in now. That mm-hmm. seems to be the issue. And I think that speaks to the farmer pipeline. Um, and it, you know, and I say the risk on all of that when people are investing in later stage products uh, or larger indications like that is the hard part now is how do you continue innovation? 
And right now, the emphasis on data is so important. And it's kind of a chicken and the egg. How do you start something without the data? And so one of the questions I have going into the year is, you know, how well will we proceed in the near term? with blending innovation, yeah. given that we kind of had pulled back so much as an industry. Right. Um, I think the good news is Goldman Sachs just opened up their first fund, uh, I think a $600 million fund. There's been a number of other uh, continued VC financings. I think uh, Orbi Med opened up a couple of funds. So, you know, that's pones well to innovation, but I, the innovation is going to be driven from the specialists. I think it's going to be hard for people who are trying to do it outside of the specialist funds. Uh, just given the way the dynamics and I would point to, you know, Peter Kaczynski wrote another piece uh, talking about, you know, his view that, you know, the haves and have nots in any, if you look at the success of those funds and uh, it's, it certainly caused some spirited discussion among folks. It was certainly provocative to say the least. Yeah. Uh, real quick. We talked, we talked about a number of indications and in markets, you know, we talked about uh, obesity, we talked about, you know, oncology, um, we CNS. I'm curious, uh, related to CNS, what your take is on the anti-aging space? You know, I, I think this, I, as, as we see the demographic shifting, it's certainly being an area uh, of focus. You know, I've always found it very hard to describe what is anti-aging, mm. you know, and I mean, it's very subjective. Yeah. You, can, you can attribute a lot of products already on the market that could be arguably anti-aging. Um, I think it's a great market opportunity because, you know, you go back to vanity and I think longevity is an extension of all of that. Um, I, I think, you know, I think it kind of almost feeds into what we're talking about before about uh, patient engagement. Because I think, you know, if you're talking about anti-aging, you've got to do a number of different things. I don't think there's a single bullet. You know, I know a whole bunch of people, particularly billionaires over 60, that like to take metformin because mm-hmm. uh, that's there's been a lot of aging and life analysis on metformin. But I do think, you know, if you exercise, you eat right uh, and, you know, you, you and there is work being done there. Um I think it's a bit early, you know, I'm not sure if it's something I would personally get involved with. But again, if there's an articulate plan, if there's really endpoints that you can look at it, um, you know, I think I think it's an interesting area. And I think a lot of people are chasing it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, I appreciate the time, Alan. I it's it's been a pleasure. Uh, here's the 24. Here's to having you back on the show more often. We got off of our cadence, so you, we, we got to get that back in the cycle. Uh, we'll be in touch on that to get the next one scheduled, but I really appreciate always getting your insight. So does our audience. So thank you. Uh, my pleasure. It's always great to hang with you. Uh, and uh, I love doing the program with you and uh, to be continued. I'm Matt Piller, and you just listened to the Business of Biotech, the weekly podcast dedicated to the builders of biotech. We drop a new episode with a new exec every Monday morning, and I'd like you to join our community of subscribers at bioprocessonline.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our never spammy, always insightful monthly newsletter at bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B. If you have feedback or topic and guest suggestions, hit me up on LinkedIn and let's chat. And as always, thanks for listening.